When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins hockey talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online. Another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a Patreon member to be eligible for weekly Boston hockey prizes and monthly Boston Bruins hand-signed jersey giveaways. Please go to patreon.com slash podcast and donate just $1 per episode. Many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show. What's up, Bruins fans? Welcome back to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is episode 285 brought to you by betonline.ag. We have a very big episode this week. This is our 2022 NHL draft preview, and uh, the draft is coming up this Thursday, round one from Montreal, and rounds two through seven are on Friday. And uh, we have a huge guest. We have McKean's Hockey's own director of scouting, uh, Brock Otten, and you can follow that beauty right here, folks. Uh, tremendous guy, and and was was really gracious with his time today with us. Well over an hour of talking about Boston Bruins hockey and prospects and who the the Bruins could pick in in this uh, seventh round draft coming up. But he was uh, very gracious at the time. Shout out to Dom for setting this all up, 
and uh, we even uh, have a little bit of dialogue on um, on Brock coming back for a post draft interview. But uh, we will talk to Brock later on uh, again uh, about the uh, upcoming draft. But uh, for right now, we're just going to talk about Boston Bruins news uh, over the past week. And there's there's really not much going on, but there is something big that did happen. Uh, the Boston Bruins did hire Jim Montgomery as the 29th uh, coach in franchise history. I think it's a very solid hire, um, and, and it's going to address multiple uh, factors um, into uh, what he could bring to the Boston Bruins organization. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that that some other candidates that I thought were I was particularly high on, especially Jay Leach and Spencer Carberry, um, you know, didn't get their shot, but. Uh, it is what it is. It seems like the the Boston Bruins didn't want to go as low as nobody with any experience to somebody that has a little taste in the NHL because Montgomery has had some NHL time and has certainly worked his way up the ranks. So let's start off with Kevin. Kevin, what do you think about this hire of Jim Montgomery to be the 29th franchise coach? First initial reaction to it, I was happy. Um, I remember last week on the podcast when we brought up, um, you know, what other names that we'd be happy with seeing as a coach for the Boston Bruins. My pick was Montgomery and I'm very happy to see that it came to fruition. I think he's a solid coach. He's a player's coach. He cares about what the room, uh, wants and he cares about, um, you know, allowing these players to be in situations that are going to help them grow the most. Um, he's had some, he's had success everywhere he's gone when it comes to um, coaching in the um, it just in hockey in general. Uh, he brought a Dallas stars team that I'm not sure had any business being in a second round of the playoffs that season, but he brought them there. Um, they ended up getting bounced by the St. Louis blues in seven games um, and that was the year where the St. Louis Blues unfortunately beat us in this cup final. But um, I think he's a great coach. He has his he had his issues, um, you know, with uh, alcohol, but he is in recovery and he's doing a great job with that. So I commend him for that. That shows a lot of strength and effort in there. So I'm very excited. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with this team and this roster. Um, yeah, just really, really excited. Dom, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm just going to echo everything uh, Kevin had to say. Uh, personally, I have no opinion one way or the other uh, on the selection. What I am glad that the Bruins did is uh, they had an exhaustive search. Uh, they talked at length. Uh, they interviewed several quality people and um, <clears throat> came to the decision on Jim Montgomery. And I have to trust that, that, uh, that management and coaching is on the same page as to what they expect, what they want to do. Um, to me, that was the most important thing. And look, today's NHL, it isn't about one coach who runs the bench. It's who he also surrounds himself with in terms of assistant coaches, <coughs> excuse me, he needs to find someone to replace Kevin Dean. Uh, that will ultimately be Montgomery's decision as any assistant coach. It, it always 
falls upon the head coach to to decide who his coaching staff is going to be. Uh, he has to make decisions on Chris Kelly and Joe Sacco on whether they're returning. And not just them. There's the video coaching. I'm sure he'll have a say in the skills and development coach now that Kim Bramble has departed for Boston University. So, you know, it's an early step. It's the big step in hiring Montgomery. I think the process went as it should have went. Let's see how he fills out the rest of the staff. Yeah, and and to be honest, with so many Boston Bruins fans that would just I, – I know everybody wants the news. They want to know who is the uh, head coach as soon as possible. But the way that they, Don Sweeney and ownership and, and the whole process went through it, they did their due diligence and find the guy. There was absolutely no rush onto when the news uh, needed to break or anything like that. Uh, you d- would you like to have a, a, an NHL head coach um, at the draft? Yeah, but it's not necessary. An NHL coach isn't necessary for uh, a, a development camp. So there was really no rush, but the I think the Boston Bruins did a great job in, in not being pushed into a corner to immediately. It's not like we're looking for a GM. That's when you that's when you need to push. Is you need to push to find a GM that's going to be effective at the draft and and in free agency not long after. So um, I think it's a good hire. I like the idea that um, that he's. He's a player's coach. I think that's what they needed. I'm not saying Bruce Cassidy was terrible. Uh, he had six seasons of, of above 500 record. I think even above 600 record. You yeah. know, but sometimes the sometimes the message gets stale, no matter how long a coach is in place. And and, and if you need to make those changes, you need to make those changes. It, it is what it is. But I just like the way that uh, he watching a lot of video. People have been sharing a lot of YouTube video with me about how he communicates on the bench. And I found that very intriguing that he he just seems like a regular player out there. Just the way he's talking to another guy, always yap, 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 yap. You got to love to see that. And hopefully he brings that to the Boston Bruins and just gets that familiarity of, of we're a team here. You know, I'm your leader, but we're a team. And 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 getting the room is is so much... It's so needed right now because, you know, and I understand that there's going to be trials and tribulations to the start of the year with uh, with uh, players recovering from injuries and, and surgeries and so on. But still, it's this is a great start. And, um, you know, am I expecting so many people like, oh, uh, get the dog boats ready. Jim Montgomery's here. No, it's not that. This is a process. Let's not jump to conclusions with idiotic statements like that. But it's just a, a small step in the process. And. And I'm happy with the decision. So I, I, let's put it this way: I'm actually a lot more happier than David Quinn. I just, I don't, I, I just got this weird feeling about Quinn and him not being able to capture the room. In, and I know that it was a developing team that they were upcoming. You know, they sent the letter out saying we're rebuilding and all that stuff. And David Quinn was basically right smack dab in the middle of it. But I don't think that David Quinn got the room in New York, and I didn't think that he'd get the room in 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 Boston either. Regardless of him previously coaching Charlie McAvoy or Matt Grizzly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the one thing um, for me that jumps out, um, you know, after this hiring is how disgusting this fan base can be um, when it comes to talking about this guy's past, you know, mistakes when it comes to the alcoholism. Um, I think it's so unneeded. 
for people to be taking jabs at a guy that they obviously had no idea. They don't know anything about him, you know, nothing about him. They probably didn't even know that he coached the Dallas Stars or anything like that. Um, They know nothing about this guy's life, and the only thing they want to throw out there is, oh, great job, Sweeney. You hired an alcoholic. Like, are you joking? Like, have some better class. You know, it's disgusting. It's It makes me almost ashamed to be a part of a fan base that's going to that's gonna throw out stuff like that. A certain portion of the fan base is going to do stuff. It's embarrassing. Be better than that. Exactly. I'm glad you said that, Kevin, because if you go back to the ten- temper tantrum I threw on one of our episodes about uh, people attacking mental health issues and Jake DeBrusque, I don't want to go that route here. Uh, look, it's a personal issue he has dealt with. He is dealing with, and he will continue to deal with the rest of his life. That doesn't make him a bad person. That doesn't make him a bad coach. Uh, in fact, it makes him a great person that, that, Hey, he's realized he had an issue. He's put his family first. Um, those are the qualities I wanted in a human being and, and to, spew out negativity it's classless yep absolutely i mean get on board with a human being that's persevering through some tough times you know like let's not let's let's not destroy a guy's resume because he has a speed bump in the road in life we all go through it uh sports just sets such a high standard for people and and what people believe they should be and so on but we're all humans here, no matter if you play in the NHL, if you're the 1% that plays in the NHL or you're just a fan that's sitting at home, we all go through our certain problems. There's, there's no hiding it. And I do want to give a shout out to the Short Shift podcast and that crew over there for doing a tremendous job acknowledging some of the uh, some of the shitty things that would have been said when people fire from the hip when they found out that Jim Montgomery's coming to Boston. And I just didn't like the way that that, that panned out. So, um, you know... We have a new coach. It, now we move forward from here. So uh, expectations on the upcoming year, even though Jim Montgomery is going to have kind of a, a mismatch, a lineup to begin. And and where do you think he could bring the, a, a type of team like this? It's hard to say until I know what the roster, the final roster he's going to have moving into the actual season. It's hard to say. Because there's a lot of routes they can go here. They can drop a couple players to create space to bring in, you know, some fresh blood. Um, they could try running back what they have um, by infusing uh, younger guys. They could do a combination of both of those things. Um, so it's really tough to say, but um, he didn't have a lot to work with. I wouldn't say a lot, but he, he, he had a team that – didn't seem like they were going to be much of a playoff threat or at all in the Dallas stars. And he did some great things over there. I know they're different teams, different situations, but I'm sure he's going to figure out the best way possible to make this team as competitive as he possibly can with the current situation that I can see. I look at it like this. If he can get them to hold their head above water until December, that means within striking distance of of a playoff spot. And then you add, get ready for this. Then you add Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, Matt Grizzlick to your roster. Imagine any other playoff team adding those three players to their roster. 
That's all he's got to do is get them to hold their head above water until he gets those guys back. Is it possible? Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It all depends on what kind of system he wants to play uh, uh, until they get back. Now, does he change system midstream because you're adding three – well, you're adding at least two superstars in McAvoy and Marshan, and then you're adding Matt Grizzlick. So um, do you want to change midstream as to how you're going to play with those guys versus with not those guys? I don't know. I mean, only Jim Montgomery knows the answer to that. But uh, I don't I don't think it's all doom and gloom as, as we're hearing on social media. Uh, let's talk a little bit further on the other side. We want to hear from Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. He's got some fantastic stuff to spice up that um, that fan cave and get ready for the 22-23 NHL season and your Boston Bruins under new head coach Jim Montgomery. So let's hear from Bruce. We'll talk on the other side. Hello, Bruins fans. This is Bruce from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia with our Black and Gold Memorabilia Moment of the Week. On July 10th, be sure to stop by our booth at the Cardboard Promotions Show at the Holiday Inn in Dedham, Massachusetts to check out our dozens of hand-signed Bruins memorabilia. Breaking news! On July 20th, we will be hosting Bruins legend and hockey Hall of Famer Cam Neely. Pre-order a JSA-authenticated 8x10 for $55.00. Puck for $59, mini helmet for $109, or jersey for $139. On May 23rd, we hosted Bruins legend 19-time All-Star Raymond Bork. We have Bork jerseys starting at just $139, photos for $59, or pucks for $65. For more information on our dozens of Bruins hand-signed pieces and your chance to win free memorabilia each week, check us out at our Facebook page, Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. Or email us directly at Boston Sports and Music at gmail.com. And be sure to tune in each week right here to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Let's go! All right, we're back. I just heard Bruce Sullivan from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia. Uh, check out his Facebook page, uh, like and share because he gives away free stuff when you do that act of kindness. Um, and, and he's a great guy, has uh, amazing stuff at some tremendous prices. Like jersey, hand-signed jerseys from uh, Derek Sanderson for uh, $75. It's absolutely crazy. But uh, get your, uh, get in touch with him and, um, and uh, like I said, spice up that fan cave because it looks like you need it. All right, talking more Boston Bruins, uh, we, we – know that Jim Montgomery is involved in the uh, in the picture here moving forward as the bench boss um, going back do you do you guys see members like Chris Kelly and like Joe Sacco staying on the team and then him just finding a an assistant coach or do you see him going through and just getting a whole new staff I mean it remains to be seen obviously but I, I think they'd stay. I, I do think they'd stay. Don, what do you think? I think they stay, especially Chris Kelly, um, uh, who's well-respected among the players, um, has 
played, has won a Stanley Cup, knows what it takes to to be successful at, at the NHL level. Um, Joe Sacco, I'm not so sure of because he's been there for a few years. Um, he was part of Julian's staff as well, right? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. So he's been, he's been around now for what will be would be his third head coach. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know. That one's a tougher call. Um, but I, I think Chris Kelly will be around. Uh, I wanted to go back to um, when we were talking about what he could possibly, what Montgomery could possibly do with this roster. And Dom had mentioned treading water until you can get the players back that are going to be missing through injury. I'd like to kind of discuss how do you think we could possibly or they could possibly tread water? Um, what moves could be made? Maybe even what players could be brought in to help soften the blow of losing these players and um, hope being able to stay above water until, um, you know, they return. Well, a lot of it depends on the cap situation. I mean, obviously <laughs> they have to get – Patrice Bergeron under contract. My expectation is it's done this coming week. Uh, it'll be a heavily bonus laden contract like we've discussed before. Uh, my understanding is, is that there has been communication with David Krejci's camp. Uh, as a 35 plus, it would fall under the same category as Patrice Bergeron contract where with bonuses that they could move to next year. Um, so uh, that means, like, do you move an Eric Holla? Or are you making him your third-line left wing? In that case, uh, what are you doing with Trent Frederick? And does that make Nick Foligno expendable? I mean, there's so many questions to, to be answered here. Um, but I... I I don't think you can go out and get somebody to replace Charlie McAvoy for a month. It's just, it's not possible. Um, I don't think you can go out and get anybody to replace Brad Marchand for a month. It's, it's just not possible. <clears throat> what we have to hope is Jake DeBrusque can start off like he finished off uh, this season and um, Taylor Hall and, uh, uh, David Pasternak can continue to work their magic, and and you know you you got to get somebody to fill in for for Marshan on that on that top line. Actually, it would probably be the second line in, in under the, in this scenario. So does that mean moving DeBrusque over to the left wing and trying an Oscar Steen on the right wing to to tread water? I don't know. So many unanswered questions, but you're not replacing a Martian. You're not replacing uh, uh, a McAvoy. Uh, Grizzlick, unless otherwise moved in a deal, would be um, Mike Riley replacing him and Jack Sean coming up in, in the lower role. Um, Jacobs and Borrell, how much time is it going to take him to get back into the swing of things? He'll probably be the guy moved to the right side. Um, my guess is in McAvoy's position with uh, with Hampus Lindholm 
on the top pair. Uh, that would be my guess and probably what I would try off the bat. I, I, I don't want Carlo and Lindholm being my top pair. I don't want Clifton or Riley being my second pair. Uh, you know, keep, keep Carlo on the second pair, keep Clifton on the third pair, and I would try Zaboral up there with, uh, with Lindholm. I'd love to give you my lineup if Bergeron and Krejci are the ones that come <coughs> back. So let's live in that world for a second. If both Bergeron and Krejci come back on bonus incentive, uh, low cap hit deals, and we can fit them right in, I think from there you're looking at a top line with Bergeron in the center with DeBrusque on the left wing and Pasenak on the right wing. You're looking at a second line of David Krejci at center with Taylor Hall on the left wing and Craig Smith on the right wing. Reunite that line, see what they can do for you. And then on the third line, you're looking at Eric Holler on the left wing, Coyle at center, and Oscar Steen at right wing. And then you drop down to your fourth line and you have um, Felino and then um, Nosek and uh, well, actually, it would be uh, it would be Frederick on the left, Nosek at center, and then um, Felino on the right. And then when you go to the defense, I'm with you 110. percent Do Zaboral on the right side with Hampus Lindholm for your first pairing. Second pairing, Carlo Riley. Third pairing would be um, uh, his name is escaping me. Clifton and a forward. That's my that's lineup it. to Treadwater. That's interesting. You know, um, I, yeah, I, I like the way you guys are going with that. Um, interesting lineup with the addition of Krejci, obviously, and bringing back Bergeron. I like it. I, I think under Montgomery, it's going to require management making moves. Uh, but I think under Montgomery, Jackson Nico will be given a shot to crack this roster at the start of the season. They have to see what they have in him and what he's capable of with Halla being a UFA at the end of the year, uh, Felino being a UFA at the end of the year. Um, you've got the Bergeron question mark again. If Krejci does come back, is it just a one-year thing? There are just too many unanswered questions with their four group not to insert Jackson Nika in there and see what you have. And I think Montgomery is the coach to to do that. So, so Don, let, let me ask you a quick question about Jacksonica and coming back for another season and giving him that chance. Is this the final threshold with him that we give him the chance? If he doesn't make it, now he needs to be a trade option or in a package? In a package. Just to trade him out, right, you're not going to get much for him. It, it right. would be in a package. And, again – their cap situation is going to dictate what kind of maneuvering they can do. I mean, they've got to move bodies out. They really have to. You you can't sign Oscar Steen to a, a two-year one-way deal, and I expect Jack Stanika to get the same uh, one-way deal and not put them in your lineup to see what you have in them. And – that was not a, a coaching decision by Bruce Cassidy. It, it, it's just the Bruins had too many bodies. It was a numbers game. And they're facing the same situation this year. And, and again, I stress, this is not a Jim Montgomery issue. This is a management issue. Um, 
on how to fit these guys in. Um, you know, they're only allowed to carry 23 players. And they've got eight NHL defensemen um, under NHL contract, two goaltenders. That means you're only allowed 13 forwards. It was never a, a Cassidy issue, and it's not going to be a Montgomery issue. This is management that needs to decide, okay, how are we going to fit these guys in? So if you're Don Sweeney, are you moving Nosek? If I'm Don Sweeney, I'm moving Nosek, and I'm moving – I'm trying to move Felino, and I'm not bringing Curtis Lazar back. And I'm going with what I would call a kid line on the fourth line of Fredericks to Nika and Steve. And, and, and another thing I just want to bring up is a lot of people are saying, and I understand this, but a lot of folks out there are saying you can go 10% over the cap. So during the off season um, and with uh, Marshan McAvoy and Grizzlick out and, and Riley, who's, who's the only player projected to start the season healthy air quotes here. Um, is is the LTIR position and and how to use it? A lot of people just say LTIR them and go out and, at free agency and get a left wing, or get a defenseman, and so on. But like Dom explained earlier, it just doesn't work with the cap uh, because when these players come back and say no late November and December, those players you acquired are now going to have to go somewhere, and if you're not cap compliant, there's there's uh, the league fines and and even even there's um, um, not cancellation of games but forfeiting games. You, you know yeah, you, you, you can't, can be you can't play if you're over the cap. You exactly. Can't. So that's that's one thing that folks have to understand that we just can't go out and get these players. The money has to work all the time. It doesn't yeah. matter who comes in and who comes out and when and where. The money has to happen all the time. I just wanted to get that clear because I'm getting a lot of DMs and tweets about, oh, you're wrong. Uh, oh, we can get this guy, that guy, and then just dump them when when all these guys come healthy. It's a lot. It's a lot harder to get rid of players than than so many people think it is. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna sign somebody to replace Charlie McAvoy, and sign him to a one year, eight million dollar deal. And then dump him when Charlie McAvoy comes back. Like makes no on. sense. Nobody is going to nobody is going to sign that contract. Look, the, the issue with LTIR is ninety nine point nine percent of the people out there don't know how it works. Uh, what I suggest to them, I've written about it many and many a times, is before you comment on LTIR, educate yourself on how it works because. Yeah. I don't want to spend the next hour on this podcast explaining how it works. Educate yourself, people. Google it, and you'll see why your ideas just don't work. Like I get, I get asked questions. I get asked questions on Twitter all the time, where I feel my response should be Google it. Yeah, it's like people don't want to do their own research. They want the information handed to them. Well, you know what? I have to do the research to give you the answer. So why do you expect me to do it for you? Exactly. Just do it yourself. The internet is at the palm of your hands, folks. It's not that hard. It's your birthright to type into your search bar, google.com. 
You, you know, use Bing. I don't care which search engine you use. <laughs> use a search engine. Oh, I think there's always brewing stuff you could talk about, but I I think the Bruins are in what I would call their busiest time right now. They, uh, you know, it, the they they've hired their coach. They have other coaching decisions to make. Um, but there is one issue I do want to talk about, and I feel it's important that it, it gets out there, guys. And we've talked about it before. I, I believe I even mentioned it on the last podcast, is David Posternak. <clears throat> you know, sorry, I'm cleaning my glasses so I can see how handsome Kevin is. Uh, <laughs> but That's all right. I got um, new glasses, but I'm, you know. We, you know, there's, I, I'm not going to call out any specific writer, writers in the Bruins media, but you, everyone knows there's rumors out there about David Pasternak's unhappiness in, in Boston for whatever reason, and that he doesn't want to resign and he's going to test on restricted free agency <coughs> and all that stuff. And Bruins fans are responding like, you know, They've got to sign him now or they got to trade him before the draft. Um, just an FYI to the people out there is David Pasternak cannot sign an extension until after July 13th. He can't even enter into negotiations until after July 13th. The CBA states, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, that any player on a one-year deal set to become a UFA, can sign an extension at any time. A player on a multi-year deal, such as David Pasternak, who is entering the final year of his contract, cannot sign an extension until after July 1st. This year is July 13th because the season has been extended. So the Bruins can't trade him now before the draft and get a first-round draft pick. It just is impossible to do. It's not allowed. So, <clears throat> sorry. I I just wanted to get that back out there again because, you know, the talk is still continuing that they've got to do this, and they can't. Yeah. And if you're still having trouble after that explanation, you can Google it. <laughs> Use Bing. It'll be it'll be quicker. <laughs> Bada Bing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, so much um, uh, discord on that whole topic. Um, you know, uh, the biggest one that I found was funny is is the immediate response that if uh, if Sweeney's going to be coming back, he's out. And there was a, a disconnect uh, between the player and the manager, which I found very hard to believe. Um, but regardless, it's going to be good for these two sides sit down and, and, and negotiate for a new deal. Um, and hopefully it's a, a friendly one, but one that is deserving. Uh, I think, um, you know, a lot of players these days, especially we saw Charlie McAvoy, who's going to be coming into, I believe his first year of his, uh, his new deal is nine. Is it his 9.5 or $9 million yeah. deal? 9. So, so that might set the bar for the future. I mean, this might be the, the, the decade of Boston Bruins uh, that they can't get players to sign friendly deals anymore. You know, it is what it is. It, that's the way it is. But uh, I think that, you know, 
it's important for him to to get something done with the, with the organization because I think that he's still a cornerstone of what we're trying to build here for our future. And and obviously he's our biggest scoring threat right now. And 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 you know Marshan's right behind there. He's a point producer too as well. So you know it's important to have him in the fold and it's just hearing the stuff that people firing from the hip that he wants to leave because somebody's coming back it's just you know you got to do your due diligence a little further and find out from the people who are in the trenches and so on that are getting this news and saying it's not true that the agent's squashing it and so on so Here, I, I didn't realize how many bruins fans wore flies on the wall in the locker room you know or yeah. in the offices and knew everything that was going on and how players felt about certain people. I didn't realize it. I mean, I got to start talking to some of these people who know everything. Here's how I look at it. <clears throat> David Pasternak will be 27 next year when he can hit UFA. Who's going to be, aff- be able to afford him? Tampa won't. Toronto won't. Uh, Colorado won't. Uh, talk any of the top contenders uh, for this day. So it's a rebuilding team, Ottawa, Arizona. Uh, does he want to go there? No. Um, on top of that, the money he makes in endorsement deals in Boston more than makes up what he, what he could gain in, say, signing with Buffalo. More than yeah. you think Dunkin' Donuts didn't cough up a few cups of coffee, some donuts, and, and a wallet full of cash to get him uh, to, to sign on with them? Where's he going to get that in Buffalo? Where's he going to get that in Arizona? You don't right? think he can get that in Timmy's in Buff- Buffalo, Dom? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I, 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 don't think the, I don't think the corporate people out there in, in Buffalo or or – Columbus or, or any of these small uh, small markets, Calgary, Ottawa, I mean you name it. They, they, they can't come up with the with the money nor the competition for his services to be able to pay what what he could make in a Boston or Chicago or New York. Uh, and you know uh, it, it isn't going to be the bottom dollar on his deal. It's where can I make the most? This is the way the agent's going to look at it, is where can I make the most money? It's not just the NHL contract. It's it's the corporate sponsorship deals. Hopefully next time we get together, we can talk a little bit more of Georgi Merkulov. Ah, every episode. Every yeah. episode. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let's um, let's wrap this up and, um, and, uh, and talk to Brock Otten from uh, McKean's Hockey. Uh, he, he he was very gracious enough to give us well over an hour uh, talking about uh, uh, the, the drafts of the past, drafts of the future, uh, Bruins, uh, where the Bruins could pick. We we, we brought him uh, a couple ideas, and 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 he countered with uh, his thoughts about what uh, him him and staff put together in their tremendous uh, draft guide that again can be seen right here. Go to McKeanshockey.com. It's a small investment every month. Or for me in the States, I paid $57 for a yearly uh, subscription, and it's definitely worth it. One of the best in the industry uh, when it comes to evaluating hockey talent around the world. So I highly recommend you follow Brock and uh, at McKean's Hockey on Twitter. 
But with that being said, um, let's hear from uh, our show sponsor, betonline.ag, and then we'll come right in and uh, we'll talk to Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. Our partners at betonline.ag continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball scores, and all the latest fighting news and even next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline.ag is a continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 to get the bonus and get in the action. BetOnline.ag, it's where the game starts. What's up, Bruins fans? As we talked about at the beginning of the program, we do have a very special guest on the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast today. His name is Brock Otten, and he you can follow him on Twitter, at Brock Otten. And he is the first-year director of scouting at McKean's Hockey. And uh, you can follow McKean's Hockey, at McKean's Hockey on Twitter. And uh, please go to the website and get your own draft guide uh, at McKean'sHockey.com. Uh, Brock, thank you very much for joining the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Um, I want to start off with with uh, a question first. Is um, it is your first year as director of scouting? Um, how did you get yourself into this role? Have you worked for McKean's in the past, or is this just relatively new to you? No, I've uh, I've done the Ontario uh, region scouting for McKean's for the last like four or five years leading up to this. So, yeah, it was just sort of a. Uh, a natural progression. Our previous director of scouting, Ryan Wagman, uh, decided to take a, a step back. He'd been in sort of the hockey prospecting business for quite a long time, but uh, yeah, it was it was a cool opportunity to take over for him. Um, last year, I actually sort of did a lot of work, uh, sort of alongside him. We kind of like, I wouldn't say like completely divided in half, but uh, definitely slowly started to take the reins from him, knowing that this would be the uh, eventual uh, role that I would take on fully. So yeah, um, it's been great. It's been a good first year. It's been good to have sort of hockey back to normal in terms of the scudding landscape too. Um, I mean, not completely. There was a few tournaments that we still didn't really have, but uh, for the most part, uh, a lot easier to scout than the previous year. A follow-up question on that. Um, at the scouting thing is what there is a big difference between sitting at home during pandemic times and so on, watching a lot of video than being in the house and watching these guys skate, getting character views by how they act on the bench, how they treat the trainers, how they talk to the coaches and so on. That's a lot of stuff you don't see on video when you're doing the scouting. So this was a big, big get back, get back together and get our job done kind of thing for you and many other scouting firms out there. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Video scouting has come a long, long way. Um, there's a lot of great platforms out there now. We use Instat at McKean's, and it's great. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, a balance of the two is, is the most ideal. Um, you know, you can be in a rink and, and watch a game and then go home and, and watch that same game and, and look for certain things that you might have missed. Um, it, it's just a great tool to have. And, 
but at the end of the day, you need to you need to balance it. And you know, to sort of piggyback off what you just said, the other thing that was was so difficult last year was that many leagues just didn't play. Right, the OHL didn't play. The WHL had a very very condensed schedule. Uh, a lot of the European junior leagues didn't play, which means that if prospects were not good enough to to play at the pro level and say Sweden or Czech Republic or whatever they were being loaned out to you know third division teams where the, the quality of of hockey just isn't at that same level so it was a very tough year yeah so first of all Brock congratulations on putting out such a, a great guide this year and um the the Thing I'm going to talk about first is is the input you allow your scouts to to have and and I have evidence of how much you listen to them because I know what your personal OHL rankings were compared to the final edition in McKean's and there were some minor differences so um, I know there are other independent services out there that don't really give their scouts a whole lot of say. Um, and, and so what does that mean for you? How open are you to, to the input from everybody uh, that's out there in the rings? Yeah, I think you have to be completely open to it. I mean, my, my background is in education and I mean, being an educator collaboration is a, is a huge part of my job and a huge part of what I preach the kids that I teach. Right. So if I'm, bringing on somebody to, to work at McKean's, obviously there's a level of trust there and I have to trust their opinion. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a fully collaborative effort. Uh, do I have the final say on, on some guys? For sure, but let me give you an example, right? Um, when we sort of were talking about our final rankings, Brad Lambert was, was one that was very polarizing. The reason being that I'm not a huge Brad Lambert fan, but pretty much every single other person on the McKean staff is. So uh, in a perfect world, I probably would have had him lower, but I, that's just not something that I can justify when the rest of my staff feels very strongly that he is a top 10 selection. So yeah, there has to be a level of trust there in the people that you know, work with you and alongside you and not necessarily, I, I wouldn't consider it say under you. I think it's, it's a collaborative piece. Um, right. And I think that's really important. Um, so I have a question for you and Brock, thanks for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Um, so when you were young, obviously there is areas where all of us find our love for hockey. What was it for you where you found your love of hockey that brought you to this amazing job you have now? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question, Kevin. Um, I can remember being interested in, in junior hockey at a, at a really young age, um, I remember back when they used to broadcast, say, like the Memorial Cup and, and sort of like weekly weekend CHL games on TV when I was like nine or 10 and being immediately interested. And then I remember when the Mississauga Ice Dogs, uh, you know, being from the GTA, when the Mississauga Ice Dogs joined the OHL, when Don Cherry brought that team to sort of fruition, um, you know, my dad and I would go to games and uh, my uncle had seasons tickets to the Hamilton Bulldogs too uh, in the AHL. So there's always sort of like been this interest towards hockey prospects and junior hockey uh, from my end. And then obviously a love for hockey has always been there in general for, for watching the NHL as well. And um, yeah, so it's just something that I've always followed and, 
and when I was trying to figure out the, my sort of path in life, it was sort of split between journalism and, and education and, and ultimately went into education, but knew that there was always that passion for, for writing and, and covering, you know, hockey prospects in, in general. And it's been awesome to be able to sort of do both and balance that. Awesome. Proof that's never too late to be able to change up and go after your childhood dream. That's a great story. Thank you. Yeah. You know, just to expand on, on that a bit and going back to my question about um, how you have everybody involved. I mean, I really love the guy this year, Mark, especially the one you can see right behind me here about Slovakia rising um, a really great art. I forget now who wrote it for you, but uh, that and, 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 the North American goaltending uh, article that was written in there and the draft. So uh, it seems to me you surrounded yourself with uh, with some really good people there. Not that McKean's hasn't always had that. They have. Um, so the purpose of having you on is, is to talk about uh, the Bruins and and what they could be looking at. But I want to talk a little bit about the draft overall, and this may be a 10-part question, but how does this draft compare to prior seasons? Uh, how deep is it? Uh, how many tiers do you see in the first round? You know, there you, you've always got your elite guys up top, and then it breaks down. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um I would say let's start with the whole concept of how strong of a draft this is. In my opinion, I don't think it's an incredibly strong one. I think, I think that it's deep. I think that there's a lot of quality available, you know, going into the third round even. Um, but I think at the at the high end, uh, I don't think, and, and this is going with sort of Shane Wright, Slavkovsky, Cooley, uh, all the guys available at the top end as well. I don't think that there's – uh, a potential superstar available. I think that we're going to get a lot of quality NHL players from this draft, but I don't think we're going to get somebody that we would consider, say, a star player. I think we're going to get a lot of uh, really good players, but nobody that we would consider to be, you know, a, an annual award candidate or anything like that. Uh, right. and, and what is the mark of a good draft? Is it high-end star talent? Is it depth? Is it the number of NHL players? Helps. I mean, ultimately, we'll have to look back on this in five, six, seven years and, and determine that. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't see this being a strong draft in terms of star talent. Um, so that's sort of the first thing. Uh, second thing, I would say that there are definitely some clear sort of tiers in that first round. I, I think that you've got a tier sort of in that top three, top five. Uh, I think that depending on who you ask, um, you know, it could be Slavkovsky, it could be right, it could even be Cooley, or it could be one of the defensemen. Um, I think that the likelihood that one of those five ends up being the best player in this draft is pretty strong, and I think that that's sort of like that first tier. After that, I think you've got uh, a really strong middle tier where you're going to get a lot of quality NHL players, good support players. You, you've got your Cutter Goche, you've got your Marco Kaspar, you've got your uh, a solid group of interesting sort of offensive type defensemen like Mijikov, Korchinski, Matejchuk, um, you know, some interesting skilled wingers from Europe too, like your Lamberts, uh, your Lakaramakis, 
uh, Camels, uh, Matthew Savoy, et cetera, right? So there's uh, definitely sort of a group, I would say, there that extends sort of into that mid uh, first range. Um, and then after that, it's a huge glut. I think once we get past sort of that like 16, 17 range, um, I think you've got a group that extends probably even into like the 40s or 50s where uh, I wouldn't be shocked if any number of players goes from say 20 to, to 50. I think that those guys are all very, very closely ranked and project also very. Uh, Brock, let's look, looking into next year's draft and we're seeing so many great um, young kids that are, are making their way already and, you know, getting into the early rankings for 2023 just I'm, I'm reaching here probably but would you call the 2023 draft a generational draft i think it looks fantastic right now yeah i mean a year out you never really know how things are going to develop but as of right now i think you've got a collection of players who you know look like potential stars right you've you've got obviously bedard you've got Adam Fantilli, you have Mishkov, who, I mean, who knows what happens uh, politically with, with Russia in the next year, but obviously he's a star talent. You have uh, another group of really strong players from pretty much every other region uh, available. Um, the depth uh, is fantastic already, um, and that's without, you know, looking at some of the players who are really going to emerge in the next year, right? So I think it should come as no surprise when at the trade deadline many of these teams were were asking for 2023 picks and not 2022 ones right and that's why we saw so many moving already is because teams are already identifying this draft as, as a very strong one thank you so w when it comes to the 2023 draft i've seen that a lot of quality centers are being you know are, are looking to go in that first round. Would you say this is a really strong draft for very quality centers? Yeah, we're talking about 2023, right? Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I mean, it looks that way. Um, right, right up at the top, you, you've got uh, Bedard and, and Fantilli, uh, two players who project as NHL stars who are going to be first-line centers. And, uh, you know, if their development goes according to plan, could be among the best players in the NHL. Um, you know, what I... My region in Ontario, we've got some really high-end uh, center prospects uh, as well, like Callum Ritchie, who um, you know I think is a is a strong candidate to go in the top ten right now, and I think he's going to have a really fantastic year next year. And you look across the dub, which uh, the WHL's draft crop for 2023 is is insane. Um, you know. Uh, They've got a lot of quality centers there too, with with height and uh, Braden Yeager uh, on top of Bedard and um, Nick Danielson, and just the list goes down. Um, I think it's definitely a, a center-heavy draft. Where I think we're looking at 2022, you're looking at it being more of a, a defense-heavy draft. I think that there's a lot of quality defenders uh, available. I think that's going to be well represented in the first round. Uh, you know, when that happens this coming week. Uh, next year definitely looks like a solid center draft film. So, Brock, since they jumped to 2023, I want to go back to 2022. And I, I know you and I had a discussion in the past about this, but I want to ask you about a, a Bruins pick. And it it only came to me because you, you mentioned Callum Ritchie. So um, tell me a little bit on your thoughts on Brett Harrison this past season, because um, I saw a lot of things I liked, but 
often nights I'm left myself questioning his work ethic. Yeah, um, I think that's it's really fair. Uh, I would say, Dom, uh, I think that uh, Oshawa kind of had an up and down year. Um, certainly didn't uh, finish the year on a, on a great note either. And I think that uh, they're going to be a lot better next year. Um, and I think that's going to be sort of the big one for, for Harrison's development. Uh, truthfully, I don't know if he developed uh, a ton this year. Um, and I think that's the same for a lot of those guys in Ontario this year, just because of having that year off. I think it was very detrimental to to development. And I think a lot of guys were just trying to get themselves back and comfortable and regain their confidence on the ice. And and I think Harrison is definitely one of those guys. I think that there's still a lot of development to be uh, made in, in his skating. I think his explosiveness still really needs to improve. Um, I think the consistency of, of his sort of two-way game and his – uh, physicality and ability to use his size to, to play through the middle also needs to be more consistent, but I think it can get there uh, for sure. And I, uh, I still think that, you know, he was a good pick where, where the Bruins selected him. And, um, but like I said, uh, his 19, 20 year old season will, will be the big one for him next year. Now, now I want to, oh, I'm sorry. I want to go nope. back a little further to uh, the, uh, the draft that Fabian Lysel was uh, involved in. And just really quickly, if you don't mind, um, can you talk about how his transition from the larger ice to the North American ice in the dub um, and how you see him fitting into the Bruins organization in the couple next couple of years? Because we know that a lot of Bruins fans and NHL fans in general like to jump the gun a lot. They see a guy playing very well in, the, in, in a certain junior league and they automatically have him sketch into the lineup the next season in the NHL. Could you just kindly talk about him and his uh, transition to the American game and where he could go further? Yeah, I think the Lysol is an interesting player just because when we go back to his draft, he was an extremely polarizing prospect. Um, you know, the opinions on him varied and it all kind of stemmed down to how well you thought he thought the game, right? Like how high the hockey sense was. And that was ultimately where, you know, uh, how that developed would depend on where he would play in the lineup or if he would make the NHL at all. Right. And I think that when he first came over, uh, I think that there was definitely some growing pains. Um, obviously the speed and the skill can play, but it was about being able to apply that on a smaller ice surface where there's just a little bit less time to, to a little bit less time and a little bit less room to, to work. Um, and I think that we saw a really solid progression over the course of the year. We saw how well Vancouver played in the playoffs um, and then Lysol was, was a big part of that. And I think that there was definitely some positive progression in his decision-making with the puck and his ability to use his speed to make his teammates better and not just, you know, uh, create plays for himself. And I think that the Bruins have to be really happy with, with the way that he ended the season. And I think that sort of sets up nicely for next year. I think that he's still going to take some time. Uh, I don't think that he's a guy that you're going to be able to pencil right into your, your lineup. I think that there is still some development to be had. I think he's going to need some time at the AHL level to, again, sort of learn to apply, you know, his speed and skill. Um, but definitely uh, a positive step forward. All right. Thank, thank God that uh, <laughs> we have someone on here that hopefully now people can listen to when it comes to yeah, that. Exactly. Um, I want to go back to Brett Harrison real quick, though, because I had a follow-up question. Um, everything you said made absolute sense uh, when it came to the areas that he needs to continue working on. Now, my question is, if he's able to hit all of these areas, um, what would you say his ceiling is in the NHL? 
Uh, I would say a middle six player. Um, whether he you know can stick down the middle or whether he's pushed to the wing remains to be seen. Uh, he has a really good shot, um, and depending on how his skate skating continues to develop, they might choose to to sort of move him over there, be more of like a complimentary guy. Um, I think you're looking at somebody like. I'll give you an example like Nick Paul, right? I think that in a perfect world, that's probably the type of player that, you know, the Bruins are probably helping Harrison can to develop into. Uh, Paul wasn't, wasn't a tremendous skater in the OHL either. It's something that he really had to work on over his OHL career. And I think it's probably something that he continues to work on. And, um, in a perfect world, a similar sort of body type, similar sort of skill set, I think. And I think that's probably the, the high end projection for him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brock, before we start nailing you on uh, uh, potential Bruins picks in this draft, uh, uh, Bruins fans really didn't know until last year uh, when they selected Oscar Yelvik out of the J20 uh, in Sweden. Didn't know much about the league, but there you've got some interesting players uh, ranked throughout the draft coming out of there. Uh, can you tell me about or tell us a little bit about um, the junior leagues in Sweden and how strong they've become? Well, yeah, it's it's the big thing is that they were returning to play this year, right? So yeah. last year with the pandemic, it was a very, very short season uh, that was ended abruptly, right? So like I said, a lot of those players were sort of forced to, to play lower level uh, men's leagues on sort of loans. Um, like the hockey at Tan, which is um, like a third level league, right? right. Uh, and the quality just wasn't as good. So one, it's great to see them back playing this year. Uh, two, um, I think you, you've got to look at the Swedish Junior League similar to the way that you look at, say, like the Finnish Junior Leagues or, or any other Junior League, right? There's going to be some high-end talent and then the depth is going to taper off. Um, I think ultimately you're looking at their performance in those leagues, but also their performance uh, when they get promoted too, right? A lot of the Swedish clubs will promote their players to to play third and fourth line roles uh, on the main clubs, um, you know, to, to sort of get their feet wet. And I think you're looking at how they adjust and how they adapt to that as well. Um, the Swedish Junior League is one of the better junior leagues in the world, though, without a doubt. Um, and I have one more question about this draft before we head into these Bruins picks. Um, so when it comes to the first overall pick to the Boston Bruins fans demise, the Montreal Canadiens have that pick, of course, and um, they have a choice to make. Now they can either grab Shane Wright, which would be a fantastic pick, but they could also go for you gave me this uh, this uh, pronunciation before we started. But let's see how I hack it. Uh, Slavkowski. I think I got it. I probably didn't. So you're more than welcome. Beautiful. To, uh, <laughs> so um do you think which player do you think would be the smartest pick for montreal to make at that number one pick look at the end of the day i'm always going to lean towards the center you can turn a, a junior center into a wing it's pretty hard to to make somebody who's played the wing their whole life a center right and uh ultimately it's the hardest position to find an impact player for um and I'm always going to lean towards somebody that I think can be an impact player down the middle. And I think that's Shane Wright. And I think that's Logan Cooley. And I, I would take either of those two 
over Slavkovsky. And that's just because uh, I think it's a lot harder to find somebody who can be a really strong two-way presence down the middle uh, and be a top six forward on a, you know, a, a long-term basis. And I think Wright and Cooley definitely project to be that. So for me, uh, you know, the, the pick would be Shane Wright still. Uh, obviously, there's some Regency bias there uh, from my end, seeing that I've, I've watched Shane Wright play since, you know, he was a U16 player. But at, or even before that, I guess, because he, he was playing U16 as, a, as an underager, right, with Don Mills. Um, I just think that there's a really high ceiling still there, but I also think that there is a pretty high floor with Shane Wright. Uh, yes, the, the compete needs to improve. Yes, um, I think that his development you know, wasn't wasn't terrific this year. But at the same time, as I've sort of mentioned earlier, I don't know if any of the players in this sort of top five, top seven range are without some form of, uh, you know, for lack of better term, warts, right? Like there's no perfect prospect. There are no uh, legitimate superstars available this year. And every player is going to require some development. And I, I think that uh, Shane Wright would still be the first pick for me. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. All right, we're talking to Brock Otten, and he is the director of scouting at McKean's Hockey, and they did a fantastic job on the 2022 um, draft guide. And I highly recommend – I purchased this last weekend when we locked down this uh, this interview, and uh, I've been reading it all week and doing my homework. So I have all types of picks um, that, that I believe could fit the Bruins, um, you know, up in, in this upcoming draft with this six out of seven picks in the, in the, uh, in the festivities from Montreal. But if any of our viewers on YouTube or our listeners want to get the McKean's 2022 NHL draft guide, please go to McKean'sHockey.com and it's a real small investment, my friends. Uh, and it's worth it. It's worth every penny. Uh, these guys do a very good comprehensive job on all the draft picks uh, and and some guys that really just catch their eye and need to be known uh, in the hockey world. So, um, yeah, go to McKean'sHockey.com and just uh, go and get an annual subscription or a, uh, a quarterly subscription. It's, it's, it really does a great service for all the folks to learn about these next up and coming stars. So do it. Don't do it just for Brock. Do it for hockey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so as I said, Brock, I did lots of homework. I, I mean, I've been on the on the, uh, the McKean's uh, gr uh, draft guide most of the week. But um, so what I'd like to do is just kind of uh, quickly, I know we have uh, uh, a short time with you, but I want to go through some of the six options that the Boston Bruins might have uh, by pick by pick. And um, I'll just uh, at 54 when the Boston Bruins select – um, obviously, to me, what jumps out is Danny Shilkin, and I know that uh, Dom is very high on him as well. Uh, he had a really good 21-22 season with Guelph. Uh, he had 55 points in 66 games, a left shooting center. And I think center is the objective in this, uh, in this draft for the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, I, I just think we need to not only re replenish the prospect pool, but also at that particular uh, position. Uh, and and you mentioned in the in the draft guide, he's a natural center, uh, dangerous transitional player, uh, high marks for his commitment and awareness, and strong two-way game. So, do you have any more thoughts on Danny Jilkin at all? 
Yeah, so Zilkin is a player that's really improved, uh, really rounded out his game over the course of his sort of young development path so far. Uh, when he was a young player with the Toronto Marlies, uh, you know, playing minor hockey, uh, he was a lot more sort of like flash and dash. But now, uh, as an OHL player, I think we've really seen him develop uh, a strong two-way game. And I think that there's a projection now that he could be a, a quality bottom six player if the offensive skill set doesn't really translate well. And I think Previously, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, you know, good size, good speed, applies himself in all three zones. Um, I think it's just a matter of whether the decision-making with the puck sort of comes around. I think that's the big thing is that, uh, as mentioned, he is a very strong transitional player, um, but can get a little bit uh, tunnel vision when he's driving the offensive zone. Um, sometimes his decision-making does leave some to be desired. Uh, and ultimately, I think that how that develops is going to determine whether he's somebody who sort of plays through the middle, maybe a, as a, you know, a solid second-line center or even a really good third-line center or, you know, is more of a depth option or, or sort of fourth-line guy that has to sort of adapt his game to, to be a long-time pro. And one, one thing you said there, Brock, that, Fits the well. It's hard to say now that they've got a new coach in place, but fits what the Bruins have, have tried to do over the last several years, even going back to under Claude Julian, is having those pivots that are strong defensively, um, uh, that can take care of their own end, uh, even if the the offense doesn't translate. So, um, to me, he's a perfect pit. Uh, at that spot based on what they've done in the past. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say I was surprised by his development uh, through throughout the season, um, but it caught me a little bit off guard because coming into the season, he wasn't even the top-ranked Guelph Storm player uh, coming in. And, and now, in my opinion, he is. Yeah, and I think the opinions are all over the map on Zilkin. Uh, I think that I, I would be shocked if there isn't a couple of NHL teams out there who don't have him as sort of like a borderline first-round uh, prospect. And I, th I think you probably see some others who have him much lower down uh, because they just don't see the high-end uh, processing ability, right? So, right. Um, you know, when, you, when you're Boston and you're picking for the first time in the latter half of the second round, I think that ultimately um, – you can sort of go two ways, right? Because it's your first pick of the draft, right? You can try to hit a home run, right? So you can try to take a guy that's probably fallen a little bit, um, but you perceive to have excellent upside. Maybe there's some concerns that they're sort of a boom or bust type of guy, but when you don't have a first rounder, I mean, those are the chances you have to take, right? Or you can sort of go the flip side and take somebody who's safe that you know is going to develop into an HL player in some capacity, right? And that way you know that you're making the most of, of that one sort of top pick that you do have, right? Especially when you're a team like Boston who is trying to sort of replenish the system while trying to be somewhat competitive. Um, I think Zilkin sort of represents the best of both of those worlds, right? I think that there is still a high upside there, uh, but also I think that there's a fairly safe floor, right? And I think that's why he's, he's definitely – uh, somebody I've seen linked to, to Boston, not just you, Dom, but um, in some mock drafts. And I, I think that there's definitely probably some interest there if he's still around when the Bruins pick. Now, 
I feel like there's another route you can go, which Sweeney has done before and has not made Bruins fans very happy, and that's reaching for a guy. Now, there is one player that I wouldn't be upset if I saw his name be called when the Boston Bruins do pick in the latter half of the uh, second round, and that is for Hunter Hyatt. Can you tell us anything about him? Yeah, so uh, first I just kind of want to touch on the whole concept of reaching, right? I think – I think it's kind of like a loaded term, right? I think when you look at the draft, if you're taking a guy earlier than maybe independent lists perceive him to be ranked, I think they're doing it for a bunch of different reasons. One, your scouting staff is very confident this player is going to develop well. Two, perhaps you know for a fact that this player is not going to be around the next time that you pick. Um, you know that there are some other teams who have been sort of circling around him and have him running pretty highly. And if you feel confident that this is a player that is going to develop into a, a quality player in the NHL, you're going to take him, right? Regardless of what maybe an independent list like McKean's or what even NHL Central Scouting is saying, right? Um, sometimes it works out, uh, like, for example, the Detroit Red Wings with more insider, right? And other times uh, it does not. And um, you know, that's the draft in a nutshell, sort of, right? Uh, as for Hunter Height, Hunter uh, um, yeah, I mean, he kind of fits in that same mold as Danny Zilkin. He is a player that I think has a lot of upside. I think that he is extremely skilled. I think that at times he shows that he has uh, a pretty good processing ability, especially in the offensive zone. He plays physical. There's a lot to like. Um, the problem is it's just a consistency, right? It's it's trying to figure out how to blend all of those skills together to be sort of one holistic player. Um, and I think that he's sort of the epitome of the player. When you look at how that year off sort of hurt players in Ontario. I think he's sort of like the poster child of that because coming into the year, uh, he was somebody who was ranked by a lot of places as a first round selection. Uh, he had a really good summer camp with, with hockey Canada. Um, and the expectation was that he would come to Barry this year and, and be one of the top OHL players available in the drafts. And I think ultimately just things didn't come together for him. Barry kind of wasn't as good as people anticipated them to be. Um, And a lot of that was because of some of their younger players not really taking that next step forward. And he's one of them. So I think that with sort of the way that he plays and sort of that physical intensity level that he can play with, I think there is sort of a – a nice safe floor for him to be an NHL player as some of those athletic tools improve. Um, but I do think that there is a very high ceiling there. So I think he's somebody that uh, teams should definitely be targeting in around that range of the, the Bruins pick. I think he's someone who definitely should go in that sort of 50 to, to 75 range. Yeah. He does intrigue me. I did a lot of reading on him. And like you said, it's, it, it seems like a high risk, high reward type of, um, situation with him, but that's a player that I think, you know, you really, I mean, I, I watched, uh, I sent Mark a video earlier. One of the passes he had, it, it just had that Krejci, that David Krejci-esque feel of a playmaking ability. And um, I, I feel like they could totally use a guy like that, especially one who can play physical and doesn't really shy away from the contact. And I, I really like the player. I'm pretty high on him. Yeah. And I think that uh, he's definitely somebody that, a lot of people who cover the OHL are high on. Um, and it's because that there is sort of that high upside. I think that there's, he's somebody that we could look back at. If he gets strapped, let's say he gets drafted 75th overall, just throwing a number out there, right? 
um, you know, in in a year from now, just just even a year, I think he could be a guy that we say like, you know, what were we thinking? Why why did why did he fall that far? Like we knew that there was all this uh, all of these skills that he could put together to to be an elite level player. Um, you know, how did we miss this? Right? Like, uh, I think that there there is a lot of comparison or there is a comparison that you can make to say like a Wyatt Johnson, right? Like look at the step forward that he took this year in Windsor. Um, I think a lot of us sort of expected that he would take a really positive step forward, but I don't think any of us really expected him to be the Red Tilson winner. I certainly didn't expect it. Okay, Mark, let me take this one. Go for it, so, buddy. Um, with the 91st pick in the 2022 NHL entry draft, uh, the Boston Bruins, as per usual, select from Omaha in the USHL, Alex Bump. Yeah, so, bump? yeah, Bump. <laughs> bump. <laughs> so he's uh, he's an interesting player. I think that there's a definite uh, goal-scoring uh, potential there with Bump. Uh, I think the key is just whether he can improve his skating. Uh, I think that there's a really nice skill package with sort of uh, – a nice sort of complimentary offensive winger who can kind of get to the middle of the ice, uh, you know, be a strong power play presence with a quality shot. I think that he's going to develop into a pretty solid physical player too, um, especially, uh, you know, going to college. But it's just a matter of whether the skating can improve. And I think a lot of sort of players who sort of blend uh, their year between high school and the USHL, um, there are some skating issues. Uh, and sometimes those improve drastically at the NCAA level as they start to really dedicate themselves to high-end conditioning and, and improving sort of those physical tools. Um, and other times it's it's something that just doesn't improve, right? And I, I think Bump is definitely one of the better uh, high school prospects uh, available this year. Uh, and I say that as somebody, he did play quite a bit at the USHL level too with Omaha. But um, yeah, there's definitely a very interesting collection of those types of guys available uh like alex bump and sam plant and brennan ali and um i'm going to ask sam you sam Renzel. uh there's there's definitely some uh, it's a very interesting sort of prep and high school crop from uh the united states this year well i'm going to ask you about one specifically later on but that's a little bit later on <laughs> all right Mark? um Brock, I want to bounce back to the, uh, the the 54th pick that the Boston Bruins have. And this this particular player from Sweden is um, a little bit intriguing to me because um, we, we're, the Boston Bruins will be looking for size and centermen that can play the game uh, fluidly, effortlessly, and so on. But I really gravitated to this pick to the um, the Swedish native Philip Bystead. He's 6'4", 205 pounds. Uh, he had a decent season with Lincoln Pings uh, and the Swedish J20. Uh, he, 16 goals, 33 assists, 49 points, left shooting center, uh, and uh, got even got into the higher Lincoln Pings SHL team where he only had two points in 15 games played. Big rangy forward, carries the puck well, and decent setup player, as you as you explain. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Shapin Langbot. Um, he's the one that wrote this particular one. Uh, skates well with good puck protection. Uh, safe pick. Some flaws can be worked out. Um, the flaws that I I like the size of this player, but I'm a little concerned about how 
uh, Chapin uh, wrote down that he lets up on some of his contact. Um, but that's also these small flaws in development can be worked out with coaching, as Chapin said. Um, would would you think that Philip Vicev would be a safe pick for the Boston Bruins just for his pure size and 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 young enough to mold into a Bruins system? Uh, I wouldn't call him a safe pick. I think he's one of those very uh, high upside picks that we sort of talked about earlier. Sort of that, um, again, lack of a better term, that boom or bust type selection. Bicet is a player that is ranked highly based on the physical tools, right? He is an, he's an athlete. He's a big kid. Uh, he skates well. And it's a matter of how everything sort of comes together for him. Um, as Chapman put in his profile, the physical intensity level wavers. And I think a lot of that has to do with just a lack of strength. I think that there's a need to improve his conditioning. He's, he's pretty thin. Um, and I think that as he moves that, I think that there's a lot of potential for him to be a really quality player. Now, the, on the flip side, maybe you, those skills just don't come together uh, and he ends up being just a big guy who can skate, right? And that's sort of the the flip side of, of this argument. Uh, but that's why he sort of has that label as somebody who, who could go pretty high. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked, again, if, if an NHL team had him ranked in that late part of the first round just because uh, he's one of the better sort of raw athletes available, especially at the center position. Yeah, I got one more for the uh, 54th pick, and um, that's a name that a lot of people will definitely know, and that is Jack Hughes. Um, he's a player. I mean, I'm not just saying this because we share the same birthday of November 2nd, even though that's pretty cool. Um I, I think he definitely has some skill there if he can get it all together, but he just needs to kind of develop more into uh, his size. Um, what can you tell us about Jack Hughes and um, where he could land um, in the NHL? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Kevin. I think it's just a matter of, of him playing at the NCAA level when he just probably wasn't uh, strong enough yet to, to be a consistent impact player. Uh, I think that there's a lot to like. I think that the playmaking ability shows a lot of promise. Uh, I think even the sort of two-way ability shows a lot of promise. I think that he's a smart player. Um, I think the skating, uh, you know, could get better, especially for sort of an undersized guy. I think that he relies sort of on that mohawking 10-2 uh, stride a, a lot. And we've seen some players struggle to, to adapt that to the NHL level thus far. Um, so I think that there's a need for him to sort of improve better or improve his explosiveness in that sort of straight line role. Um, but, uh, I definitely think that he's somebody that has a lot of upside in that, in that second round range. And just like I've mentioned with Bystead, I think that he's a guy that NHL teams could definitely look at in that late first, early second round range too, because, um, I think he flashed, uh, a lot of offensive skill here for sort of through freshmen, right? Uh, it's very hard for, for these guys to come in um, and be consistent players when they're going up against, you know, 23, 24, even 25-year-old um, seniors uh, on a nightly basis, right? So um, I think that he's definitely somebody who, who would make sense in that 54th spot if he's still available. Uh, I don't know if he will be, though. No. Uh, you guys got anything for around 91? I do. Round 91. Uh, round 91. We're having 91 <laughs> rounds now, Dom? I, I don't know if I can stay away for that. 
<laughs> Another intriguing player for me at this particular pick at 91 is uh, you guys have him ranked at 92, and that's defensive, defenseman David Spacek. He's a Czechia native. He's a little undersized, but I think a little raw as well. Uh, he played for Sherbrooke last year, had 12 goals, 38 assists, 50 points in 57 games, the right shooting defenseman, NHL pedigree, son of Yaroslav Spacek, uh, solid rookie season in the queue, ninth ranked defenseman in the queue with 50 points, uh, high intelligent player, as you wrote, Brock, and an excellent gap control and transition game. Can you tell me a little bit more about why the Bruins would be interested in somebody like this? Yeah, so he's in his second year of eligibility. He's one of those players that uh, I expect to be drafted pretty high in their second year of eligibility. Didn't play very much last year with the Czech leagues uh, sort of pausing with the pandemic. Had a really, really strong year in Quebec. Um, like sort of any son uh, of a former NHL player, I think the the top sort of skill for him is, is how he processes the game. I don't think he's, he's a tremendous athlete. He means I think the skating sort of grades out around average. I think the puck skill is probably slightly above average to average. Uh, but this is somebody who processes the game really well at both ends. And I think that if you're able to sort of improve some of those athletic tools, uh, I think that there's a chance that he plays higher up in the lineup. Um, and I think that he's definitely an intriguing selection once you get to that, um, you know, even late, late second to fourth round range. Uh, I think they're all pretty closely grouped together. I think that he definitely has a chance to, to be an NHL player. And I think somebody that could play in a, a variety of different roles. He has a big point shot, shows potential as a power play quarterback. As you mentioned, good sense, good feel in the defensive zone because um, of that high IQ. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, whether the skating can continue to improve. Well, then I'll jump in here because I, I did my homework. Uh, well, he's got about 15 pages. I, I do. I, I really do. I was really excited for this <laughs> this interview with you, Brock. So I, I tried to come prepared as much as possible. Um, but uh, at 119, when the Boston Bruins pick, uh, this, this player might go a little earlier. But if he's there, I really would like the Bruins to take a, a chance on this kid because I really got to see a lot. I, we, um, we all have the CHL live package. We watch a ton of Bruins hockey, but when we're doing that, like watching Ryan Mass and watching Brett Harrison, we see players like this. And and Dom really uh, sent me a DM and it's like, watch this kid, Mark. And I'm really, really intrigued by right wing Lucas Edmonds. He's a Swedish native. He's, he's undersized at 5'10", 180. He played for Kingston last year and had a huge season. 34 goals, 79 assists, 113 points in 68 games played. Great hands and intelligence, solid stick handling skills, and a playmaker and a finisher. So please tell me, Mr. Brock, why Lucas Edmonds would be a very good pick for the Boston Bruins at 119. Yeah, so Edmonds is is a very interesting case. He's draft eligible still, even though he is a 2001. Um, and that's because he falls under European eligibility rules and not the CHL's eligibility rules. Um, so this kind of happens very, very rarely. It happened last year with uh, Colorado selecting Bulyalski out of the USHL um, because NHL Central Scouting just deems these guys to have played through the Europe for the majority of their eligibility. Uh, he is somebody that I think even though he is older, there's still a lot of physical maturation that, that can occur. Um, and the skill level and the sense is among the best uh, of any of the OHL players available this year. Um, 
in a lot of nights, he he was better than Shane Wright for for the Frontmax. The power play sort of ran through him and, and not through Shane. Um, it's just a matter of whether the skating can continue to improve and whether he can continue to get stronger. Um, I think that's that's the big thing for for Edmonds is. Right now, he's probably only an average skater for the OHL, let alone moving forward to the next level. And he's not the biggest kid on the ice either, right? So um, the, there's going to be some projection issues. Uh, but when you're looking in the mid-rounds, this is the type of player you take a swing on. Because if your development staff can continue to work with him to, to improve certain things, this is somebody who is skilled enough. This is somebody who is smart enough. Uh, to play uh, a high role at the NHL level, um, and he, you know, he's going to move right into your system too, right? Uh, he's going to go right into the AHL next year. And I, I think, kind of like we talked about with 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 Spachuk, is he's one of the better sort of reentry or overage players uh, available in the draft this year. And it must also be noted he wasn't a beneficiary of playing with Shane Wright because other than the power play, uh, he he was. Well, I don't know if I want to call him the driver of his own line, but he was one of the drivers on on his own line. Yes, yeah, he, they didn't play together at even strength. No, right. I'm gonna at one nineteen, Brock. I'm gonna jump all the way down to a player you have at one forty five, and you mentioned high school players earlier. Uh, a player by the name of David Gardner. Is it a reach to take him at 119? No, uh, I actually wanted to rank him a little bit higher. He's sort of like a personal favorite of mine from that crop. Um, I think you look at the USHL point production that he put up in sort of that small sample size, and I think he was a lot better uh, when you watch him play than the stats would indicate. I think you're looking at a big kid, a big center, uh, with some really interesting, interesting athletic tools. I think he skates pretty well for a big kid. Um, and I think that that could even improve greater, you know, as he moves up the levels, um, you know, and, and improves his conditioning. Uh, I think that there is a, a very high upside here with, with Gardner. I think that there's definitely sort of that complete package as a, as a strong power center. Um, and as we all know, those, those are hard to find. Um, you know, is there a chance that, you know, he's nothing – comes of, of Gardner, like any high school player or prep level player, it's it's a big swing that you have to take, right? It's a big chance. Um, but I, I really like him. And I, I think that he's definitely somebody, if I was, uh, you know, on a on an NHL scouting team, he's somebody that I would be sort of pounding the table for after that, like third round range. So anytime after the third round, you're safe with him. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think, like, I think you need to measure upside right i think that's something right. that you need to look at and it, it can't just be a personal philosophy right when you're when you're drafting i don't think that every single player that you draft can be that massive upside swing because the likelihood that you come out of that draft with not a single nhl player is pretty high i think that right. you need to balance you know uh, and mitigate risk Right. So there needs to be some really high upside swings that you're taking. There needs to be some safer prospects that you're taking. There needs to be guys sort of that fall in the middle. Right. Um, and I think that every scouting staff sort of does that. And um, Gardner is a player that definitely, you know, falls in line with 
most high school players and that there is sort of a lot of risk attached to, to their selection. But I think he's somebody that would be well worth the risk uh, once you are sort of exhausting some of your options in that second or third round rate. All right. One, okay. one, oh, sorry. Go, ahead. go ahead, Mark. I, I had another player, but if you wanted to elaborate on that, go ahead, Dom. No, I was just going to mention the actual player that they did have ranked at 119. And I'm going to butcher the name. Alexander Suzdaleb out of the J20 in Sweden, which we talked about earlier. Um, what are your thoughts on him, Brock? First of all, he comes out from a, a good organization in HB71, right? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, he is another one of those boom or bust type guys. Um, we actually have him ranked quite a bit lower than some of our contemporaries. Um, there are quite a few other sort of independent organizations that have him well inside the top 50 or top 60 uh, because the upside is is very significant. He's, he's one of the probably most creative and skilled players available uh, in terms of like one-on-one -on -one skill uh, this year. Uh, and I know that's saying a lot, but it's it's probably true. Um, it's just a matter of the application of those skills and how well he thinks the game. And I think that there is definitely some concerns there. And I know that our sort of uh, staff that scouts Sweden um, felt the same sort of way about him. So that's why he's a little bit lower. I, I don't expect him to, to be available in that range. I think that this is sort of our us ranking him in that range because we feel like there's going to be some issues with, with his uh, progression and with him sort of uh, developing into an NHL player. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I think he'll probably go much higher than we have him ranked. All right. Last player from me, Brock. And again, thank you so much for the time today. I'm, I'm a former goaltender. Beer League, C-League champion right here, baby. So I'm always I'm always interested in the goaltender position when it comes to the Boston Bruins organization. I cover the Providence Bruins as a credential media writer. And, um, you know, Kyle Kaiser, who I'm very sure that you're familiar with, um, we're not sure what's going to be happening with him. He's RFA right now. We have Philip Svedback um, leaving Dubique and going to Providence, NCAA. But I still think that we need to replenish the prospect pool, regardless of who we have in, under contract at the NHL level um, with Swayman and, and uh, Allmark. But um, at 200 in this in your rankings, Daniel Hauser uh, from the Winnipeg Ice, uh, he had a monster season, 34-3, and 2.0 goals against, 914 save percentage. He stole the job early uh, last year. High-level athleticism and watching video kind of reminds me of Kyle Kaiser and a favorite of McKean's Western Canada staff. Uh, can you Thoughts on Hauser? And would he kind of be like a safe pick at seven? At, at seventh round? Sorry. You know, I don't think there is a such thing as a, a safe pick in that seventh, seventh round range, right? And yeah. uh, I wouldn't say that he's a safe pick at all, only because he's an undersized goaltender, right? And I think that anytime you're taking an undersized goaltender, there's there's a lot of risk attached to that because very few of them develop. And that's why NHL scouts look for bigger goaltenders because there's just less room for error, right? Um, when you're a smaller goaltender, you're positioning and the technical components of your game have to be perfect to be an NHL goaltender uh, just because you're giving up that extra space that a 6'4 or 6'5 netminder is not going to give. Um, they don't have to be perfect goals. They don't have 
uh, aggressive in the way that they challenge shooters. Um, and Hauser, um, you know, fits in with quite a few of these smaller goaltenders that are available sort of in that range, right? You've got Thomas Milich, uh, another WHL goaltender. You've got Brett Brochu, who's in his last year of um, draft eligibility in Ontario. You have um, Igor Guskov, uh, a Russian uh, goaltender who's been quite good uh, internationally for, for Russia in a lot of events. Um, you have Hugo Havlid, the top goaltender at the uh, recent under-18s for Sweden. Um, there's quite a few available this year, and they all sort of have that same projection because they're athletic. Uh, they never quit on a play, and um, you know their team can rely on them. And I think Hauser sort of fits that mold to a T, right? And that's why Winnipeg chose to go with him uh, as their starter. Um, uh, our Western staff uh, really, really likes him. Um, they really feel like he's somebody that should be drafted. Um, that said, I probably would have said the same thing about Brett Brochu being in Ontario. I think every sort of region has that underage or undersized goaltender that you sort of cheer for, right? Um, uh, the problem is there's just so few of them sort of work out. Um, I think you have to be very, very confident in that projection. I think you look at a guy like Devin Levi. Uh, we ranked him quite highly in his draft year because we were very confident that he had what it took to sort of overcome that lack of size. And I think we're sort of seeing that now. Um, you know, not only is he a high level athlete, but he's somebody who just competes at, at such a high level. Headlines um, is very aggressive in challenging shooters, um, but also thinks the game at a really high level and just rarely seems to be out of position. Um, and I think that's what it takes to, to be a small goaltender at the NHL level. And I, I, uh, I think there's a lot of candidates and it's just a matter of sort of wading through them. And, and Hauser is definitely in that group, though. That's very well explained, Brock, because a lot of people, I think, they look at UC Soros and what he accomplished in Nashville last season. And, and they think that every small goal, goaltender can do the same thing. But it's just really not like that at all, as, as you so eloquently put it. But I'm, I'm glad Mark uh, mentioned goaltenders. Overall, what do you think of the goaltending class? Because I, I have, when it comes to the OHL, very mixed reviews about, um, you know, who I would take and where. Um, for instance, Patrick Lever in, in Oshawa stole the number one job and, and uh, had a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Uh, he's a draft re-entry. What was it? He missed being ineligible for last year by one day or something. Yeah, like, one of the youngest players, yeah. Yeah, so, like, what's the goaltending draft class like overall? World. What? Yeah, that's <laughs> an easy way to put it. Uh, honestly, it's it's the worst that, that I've ever seen. I've been covering the draft for, for a long time. Uh, honestly, I, there's not a goaltender that I would take in the first three rounds. Will there be? For sure. I was discussing this with one of the guys on the NHL network uh, recently just for some NHL draft prep stuff. And, um, you know, the two of us were saying just, you know, we were, we were on not placing a bet on when the first goaltender would be taking, but kind of got to that level. It's will an NHL team step up and take a guy in the thirties or forties or fifties, uh, you know, just because, their goaltending depth uh, is so poor and they want to sort of jump ahead of some other teams because 
that's a goaltender that they really like in a, in a weak crop? Or will teams just wait and say, look, like this is a weak crop. Here's a guy like Patrick Lever, or here's a guy like Cameron Whitehead, or here's a guy like um, uh, Tyler Muzilic uh, out of the program, right? Like there are some right. guys that are available late who have just as good of a chance of developing into an NHL net minor than say spending a, a second or third round pick on Tyler Brennan or uh, Tobias Linen. So uh, I think that probably somebody steps up to take one relatively earlier, or early than earlier than they should, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's an extremely weak uh, draft crop uh, overall in, in almost every region. The best goaltender that's available is probably Havlin, uh, and he's pushing 5'11". Um, so I think that sort of sums it up in a nutshell. So are you expecting to see a lot of, with these goaltenders, a lot of invites to development camps around the NHL to see rather than teams waste? I don't want to use the word wasting, using a draft pick on them. I actually kind of think it'll be the opposite, Dom. I think that there will be quite a few goaltenders drafted. And it's kind of like a sense of personal pride. I think you want to be that NHL organization who finds the diamond in the rough through all the crap that's available. Right, like you want to be yeah. that team that finds that that Jonathan Quick that finds that UC Saros um, in the mid to later rounds in a draft year that people are saying is extremely weak for the position. Right, um, so I think you're going to see a lot of teams use sixth and seventh round picks on goaltenders in hopes that you know they've found that guy that's going to be the top goaltender in this class because I don't think anybody knows who that is, and I don't think anybody even knows who's going to go first. I think you know. It, it, more than likely Brennan or, or Lineman, but wouldn't shock me at all if it's somebody out of left field um, because teams are sort of not sure who, who that player is going to be. Um, I think you will see a lot of development camp invites too, though, Dom. I think you're right there. I think that uh, teams are going to want to see how these guys look uh, against pro-level shooters. Um, and I think that um, – there's certainly a, a lot of goaltenders uh, available that are very, very interesting. Um, and you mentioned Patrick Lever being one of them, but he's another guy that um, I don't know if he gets drafted. He's in his second year eligibility, like you said. Um, I think that he'd be one of those guys that I would throw a late round dart at. Um, but there's quite a few of them in that in that range. Uh, I think probably Reed Dick would probably be my favorite. I really liked what I saw at the U18s. Uh, I think that even though he played on such a bad team in the WHL this year, I think that he has that interesting combination of size and athleticism. Um, just needs to refine some of the technical sort of aspects of the position. But there's, I think, a very, very interesting blank slate to work with uh, to work with for, for an NHL team. I think that he'd be that guy that I would probably look at in that fourth or fifth round range if, if he's still available. I lied. I, I do have now one more question <laughs> to ask that has to do with this draft, but it can be answered quickly. Um, it doesn't have to be extremely in depth uh, for time purposes, but um, so we've thrown a lot of names at you when it comes to the second round and who the Boston Bruins could pick. Now I want to ask you your personal opinion. If you had the choice of who you were going to choose at that for that second round pick for the Boston Bruins, who would that be? Ah, that's such a difficult question just because who knows who's going to be available, right, Kevin? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Zilkin is a good choice for, for the Bruins of that, that selection if he's available. Uh, I think that you've also got to look at some other players. Like, uh, for example, I'll throw Luca Delva Blues at you. He's somebody that I expect to go in that 
um, late first, early second round range. Um, but stranger things have happened at the NHL draft. Uh, guys have fallen. And if teams are concerned about his lack of foot speed, um, he's somebody that I would be jumping at to select where the Bruins do in the second round. Um, now, so there's definitely. Yeah, yeah. Now he's dropped a bit, at least in my opinion. Do you, do you think he could drop to 54? No, but again, stranger things have happened, right? Uh, I think that he's dropped a fair amount um, in some sort of independent circles, but I don't think he has with NHL scouts. I think that they're still looking at a guy that is skilled, has size, plays both ends, plays down the middle, um, and still has a lot of sort of physical development or a lot of room to develop physically still. Uh, even as somebody who's a late born 03, I think that there's still definitely room there for him to those athletic tools um so i don't expect him to be there at 54 but again players with foot speed or probably or foot speed issues are probably the hardest to peg at the nhl draft um and uh he's somebody that that could fall a little bit and if he's there at 54 i think he represents a better pick than than zilkin does for the bruins i think ultimately um you know, Boston could be looking at somebody who sort of is that faller because it's their first pick in the second round, right? So the guy that, um, you know, they've got ranked 25th could still be there at 54, right? Because NHL, any uh, other NHL teams have passed on them and, um, you know, now they're up. And we see that sort of all the time with, with teams that are picking for the first time in that uh, mid-second, late-second round range as they're taking sort of that, that perceived faller at the draft because it's something have ranked highly, but they have opportunity to, to select them in the range that many people were expecting them to be. Awesome. All right. And Mark, you wanted me to take it out, right, with uh, a final question? You want you want it wrapped up? Yeah, real quick. But... All right. So neither one of them have any idea that I was going to ask this question, but uh, I think it's a good grand finale question, and it's something a lot of Bruins fans are going to be interested in. Now, we're going to go all the way back to the uh, infamous 2015 draft. Oh, Give us uh, your man. observation on. <laughs> Can I Give us your observation room? on the infamous three picks that Don Sweeney made for the viewers who are still hung up on it. Well, you know, obviously, like everybody, the fact that they passed on on Barzell is is it's it's it is what it is. I, I will say, I, I was a big Zach. Sanitian fan. And I remember actually talking to, to Tom here. at the time. Uh, I really felt like he had uh, a lot of interesting athletic tools to, to work with. And I thought that he was going to develop into a really good NHL player. Um, and ultimately, that just hasn't been that case. And that kind of goes back to some of those guys that we were talking about, like a Philip Bystead, right? You know, Philip Bystead is essentially like a Zach Sanitian type of upside swing, right? Um, the skating is good for for a bigger guy um and it's just whether those skills sort of uh develop around that and there's always going to be players like that available and i think that boss obviously you know didn't uh, bring that out of him or or he didn't bring it out of himself or you know a combination of those two things or maybe they definitely or we in general like the ohl scouting community and the nhl scouting community overvalued maybe some of his uh, processing abilities and that was something that held him back um at the time honest, honestly honestly uh, i really like the the Sanitian pick in general 
um, and that just didn't work out. And I think that uh, that's the challenge of of trying to select some of these athletes at the draft. So yeah, I mean, that could be Barzell over Seneshin, but you're okay with the DeBrusque and the Zaboral picks there? <laughs> hey, hey, look, DeBrusque has, has been a pretty decent player um, for the Bruins. And I think that when you're picking in that range, if you can get a, a DeBrusque, I think that you've done well. Because for every DeBrusque, you have a Zach Seneshin or Zaboral who just don't develop into NHL players, right? Um so if you can get somebody who can play through the middle of your lineup, I think you've done well. Now, if you've got three picks and all three of those are DeBrus type players, I think, yeah, you've definitely done something wrong. And uh, I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to defend the Bruins. I think they definitely, definitely messed up. Um, but uh, I think it kind of goes back to sort of what um, we were saying earlier about mitigating risk, right? And making sure that you've got a variety of different types of of players whenever you're doing like a mock draft for example i've done a million of them this year i just wrote one for nbc um and those teams sort of have that second or third first round pick you're always kind of thinking okay they're going to take sort of one guy that is going to sort of be that high upside swing right and you're going to take a couple guys who might be a little bit safer so i think what the bruins were thinking was okay zaboral is probably a safe pick right he looks like he you know at least is going to be a, a solid number four or five defenseman. You've got DeBrusque who, you know, the physicality and the goal scoring combination is really interesting. He should play, um, you know, through the middle of our lineup. And then we're going to take that big home run swing on Zach Sinitian and, and hope that those athletic tools kind of develop him to be a, a star top six forward. Um, ultimately, probably that home run swing should have been on Matt Barzell and, you know, his athletic tools and the way that he skated and the way that he could move the puck, right? Um, and maybe they were too safe or tried to be too safe in, in their own heads, right? Um, so obviously that, that's a big miss on, on the scouting team there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's really no way to, to defend it, Kevin. I, I was just wanted to add that uh, the Bruins weren't the only ones that thought Sanishin was, was going to be a player. Um, I think a lot of people sort of forget that. Yes, it was... Uh, it was higher than, than people had him ranked. Um, but I remember saying at the time, doing some podcasts and interviews, that I thought Sanishin could go a lot earlier than than people were sort of pegging him to be because teams were going to be very, very interested in uh, his athletic tools and the way that he can skate on the wing. Yeah. I, 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 I have this question. He put up 26 goals basically playing on the fourth line in the OHL and then back-to-back – uh, 40 plus goal seasons. So at the, at the time it didn't really look as bad as it, as it really turned out to be. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'll counteract and say that I think that people were, were pretty confident that the Bruins messed up almost immediately. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of been the case since, right? Like uh, a yeah. year later, that looked even worse. And two years later, it looked even worse than that. And it continues to to, to look worse as some of those players that were drafted after that that sort of threesome uh, go on to, to very, very good NHL careers. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the big thing, right? Like if, if the Bruins had missed on, you know, one of those three, if DeBrusque had been – the exact player that he is and um the instead of the world they drafted somebody else right somebody who was uh, another top six forward or top 
four defensemen for the Bruins. And then they missed on Sanishin. I think people would not have an issue with it, right? I think that you would say, oh, okay, they passed on Matt Barzell, but at least we got DeBrusque and at least we got somebody who's playing uh, a significant role for us. And you know what? We took a swing on Sanishin. We missed. It is what it is. It happens, right? But the fact that all they got was was Louis DeBrusque, or Louis DeBrusque, Jake, Jake DeBrusque, uh, with that pick, really, with that with that group of, of three selections, right? Like, I think that that's what hurts the most, especially now that with all the trade rumors with, with DeBrusque this year, too. Um, it's kind of like, uh, are we going to end up with nothing to show for, right? Casey still lost to Zaboro. I guess, yeah. And when you get Jake, you do get Louis too, Brock. So you were okay by saying <laughs> Louis to Russ. Uh, but, you know, in fairness, they got Brandon Carlo in the second round who was projected to go higher, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And if, if Brandon Carlo is that other pick and they reach out to him, right, yeah. you're, you're probably still quite happy, right? Um, yeah, and there's a lot of planning. <laughs> Probably. Honestly, it all comes down to Barzell, right? And that's sort of the big one that because he was falling, right? Like he was somebody we talked about it earlier with with what the Bruins could do with that second round pick, right? And taking that that faller, right? And Barzell was somebody who was slated to go a little bit higher than that. Um, you know, kind of like a Matt Savoy type player this year, right? Like Barzell right. had that same sort of uh projection heading into the draft uh, as Savoy does. And um, you know, people were thinking, oh man, like it's going to be one of these three, like definitely Barzell is going to be one of these three. And when he wasn't, I think that that's when that immediate negative reaction happened. And the fact that he's become such a, a high end NHL player just makes it so much more sour. For me at the time, it was Kyle Connor. That was the one that bit me. He was coming off a, a Hobie Baker um, finalist uh, season. I was really high on him. He was supposed to go in that area. I was like, that's the guy for me. When Barzell fell, of course, I was like, yeah, Barzell. But I think Zaboral, they picked where he where he should have went, DeBrusque around where he should have went. And like you said, Sendishin was the only real um, head scratcher for me at the time. Uh, but not a head scratcher for you because you said that you could have seen him go, um, uh, you know, around that time, anyways. But yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you also said that um, the scouting team messed up because a lot of people love to just throw it all on Don Sweeney, like he's the only one in there trying to figure this out. Group so effort. Thank you for group from effort. the expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I know we kept you a little longer than than we had planned, but. Uh... I, I want to start out by saying I appreciate it. And maybe a week after the draft is done, uh, we might be able to squeeze you in and talk about the Bruins' actual picks if uh, you think you could find the time. I'll yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, uh, Brock, thank you so much for making an appearance on the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast today. Um, and thank you and your team. Please extend out an email if you could to, a tremendous job from everybody, from all uh, spots in the world on the coverage of this tremendous uh, draft guide. And please, uh, if you, you're doing yourself an industrious, I can't even say the words right now, um, go to McKeenshockey.com and get your own draft guide. It's, it's like I said, it's a tremendous um, comprehensive uh, guide on all a lot of great players that are, are draft eligible this year. And uh, it's a great read. So, um, again, Brock, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for everything that you do. 
And um, and please follow Brock at Brock Otten on, on Twitter. And please follow uh, at McKean's Hockey on Twitter. And especially go to the McKean'sHockey.com website. The draft is coming up starting Thursday night. Round one and two through seven are on Friday. So we're really excited. And uh, again, thank you so much, Brock, for your time. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, You'll thanks for having there. me on. You'll be there, right, Brock? At I will. That's that's if my flight leaves uh, Billy Bishop Island. Um, I think all of us that are going to Montreal, if we're flying, I think we're all sort of apprehensive about just the mess that is the airport transit system right now. So yeah. uh, fingers, fingers crossed that. Well, <laughs> if, if you can, it's only a six-hour drive, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> at least there's so many of us in the same position, right? So. Yeah. Again, I, I kind of like anxiously have been checking my flight status like every day. So, yeah, so far so good. Um, but we'll see. Well, at least you're long. not flying out of Pearson. That, yeah. Hey, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, if I'm gonna <laughs> put my eggs in one basket, I'm gonna go to Billy Bishop and and uh, try to fly off the island. And then uh, I've just been reading a lot. They probably probably shouldn't be, but reading a lot of horror stories out of Billy Bishop now the last week or so too. So. Uh, yeah, I'm trying far, to stay positive. You're not far from Waterloo. Uh, you take the drive to Waterloo and fly out of Waterloo. Yeah, you know what? I already looked at a bunch of different, uh, you know, sort of alternate options, and none of them really looked all that appealing. So I think you just got to try to hope for the best. And I think, uh, you know, I, all we hear about on social media is the horror stories that are happening at yeah. Pearson and Billy Bishop about flights getting canceled and, and whatnot. But obviously people are getting to their destinations. I think we're only hearing yeah. about the bad stuff and not necessarily uh, the stuff that is occurring as it should. So right. uh, fingers crossed. I am one of the people that is occurring as it should. And now right. you'll be doing your yearly updates with every pick on Twitter, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, I will try to, to update as, as, uh, much as I can live uh, at the draft. So yeah, um, definitely going to try to do that. Awesome. I look forward to that every year. So all right. Brock, thanks, buddy. Appreciate yeah, your thanks. time. Thanks yeah, so you're much. welcome. This, this is Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, episode 285. I want to thank Brock for uh, being a special guest today and safe travels to the NHL draft in Montreal. I want to thank my boy Kevin O'Keefe and Dom Tiano for joining us today. And we will uh, have a, a a post-draft uh, episode coming up soon where we talk about where the Boston Bruins picked and who they selected. So we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you very much, everybody. Stay safe. Uh, happy Canada Day holiday and happy 4th of July holiday for us in the States. So, like, again, uh, please stay safe. And we'll talk Boston Bruins hockey next week. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at Black and Gold Pod, at BNG Productions, at Black and Gold 277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out. Thank you.